You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe. Hello and welcome to Unfiltered with me, James O'Brien, featuring this week the DJ, producer, record label boss and fashion designer, Steve Aoki. He's got a new album out, Neon Future 3, um, coming soon. But having done quite a lot of research into him, I have a feeling we'll be talking about pretty much everything under the sun. I was born in Miami, and then when I was one, my mom moved to the other side of America. And she's like, all right, I'll pick Newport Beach. I don't know why she did it, but she didn't pick Irvine, which is dominantly Asian. Or she picked Irvine. She could have gone there. And then... it's been like, oh, the, the Japanese community would be welcoming her in her arms, but she picked Newport Beach. But it's still, I mean, you go there, if you ever travel there, it's incredibly beautiful, a suburb right on the coast, and it's just the, the weather's always like... Bright and sunny, you know, warm. This uh, is where the OC was set for British viewers. This yeah. is where, where we'd get our kind of... Surf culture, so it's very laid back. Were, were you into surf culture as a... Um, I as think every kid older. was. Yeah, you had no choice. It's like you grow up like... Right of passage. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're skating, surfing, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, you've described it as a place where ignorance can breed and not get checked. That's because what happens is that there is, since it's all, let's say it's all homogeneously one culture, any other culture that is in there, there's no education, there's no awareness on what that culture represents. So so for me, like, you know, growing up as a kid, as an Asian kid, when you're a kid, that's when you really see um, unfiltered, (laughs) unfiltered, Anything. So if there's if there's a hate, if there's jealousy, if there's ignorance, it's unfiltered. Right. It's because they don't get checked. Like the kids are brutally racist or brutally this. They don't. But they wouldn't even recognize. They don't race. even recognize it as like, oh yeah, like calling an Asian like a uh, derogatory word. It's not a big deal. Or you know those kinds of things happened. Where eventually I was like, I felt that it was okay even f- for me. Yes, Unless, because there's no alternative path. I mean, right. it is literally just the way everybody behaves and yeah, talks. Well, so how could it possibly parents, be wrong? Uh, teachers, you, you think like Newport Beach, it's California, it's very liberal. Yeah. You know, there's a comfort in that liberalism, but at the same time, it's it's very conservative. It's very that's fascinating repre- to me. Repressive in, in certain elements that you wouldn't see unless you were a person of color. If you weren't, unless you, know, you were different. And different, when, yeah. when did you become conscious of difference? At a very early age, you know, like I just remember when I, my mom, you know, she's Japanese, she came from Japan, so she'd make rice balls, we'd put seaweed around them and then, and have like a bento box with like, uh, um, these bonito flakes on rice. And like, when you open that up, it looks like they move, they, they move. Wow. You know, they're like yeah. crispy, like tasty, but neat, like, you know, sure. fish flakes, but they actually move. So I remember opening up at like lunch table, like I was, I don't know how old I was, third grade or something. And, you know, it's like the traumatic moments are things you remember, right? So <laughs> yeah, I open sure. it up and like the, the kids next to me, they're all, they have like their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever. And they're like, ew, he's got like worms on his food. And I'm like eating one. Like what? And this then like not- I have like rice balls. Like what is it? What's up? It's like everyone gangs up on that. I, I don't want to say I don't blame them now, but like when other people gang in there, they they don't realize the kind of effect they have on on just me. Yes. When I'm like I, I run off or you know I'm crying or whatever it is yeah, I yeah, do yeah. to like to deal with it, and I go yell at my mom. 
Oh, of course. Like, Mom. Why am I? Why are you doing this to me? Peanut butter like, and jelly tomorrow. Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> never again rice balls. No more bonito flakes, you know? Like, and my mom doesn't understand. She's like, but you love... You love the omeboshi. You love the like sour plums. You love that, you know, and like, and rice balls your favorite. Like, I hate them. Because anything, and it's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case because kids, kids are can be very cruel. But as you say, there's that unfiltered innocence to it as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit of luck involved. You could have got a free pass. There's just a slight aligning of the planets when it comes to that. You know, as people get older, you start realizing, you know. Like, oh, yeah, it's obviously wrong to say that. Yeah. And some people just don't care. Some people are just like, it doesn't matter. I'll say what I want to say. Yeah. But I think for, I think for, you know, I, I think of the world in a good, in, you know, half glass full, like in sure. a good way. I think generally people learn and realize, you know, you shouldn't be saying things that are hurtful or going to, you know, just downright get at someone, you know, just because of how they look or because they're different. From yeah, you. yeah. And it's weird. I should mention that you were born in 77 because you, you you look a lot younger and the um, big sort of DJing breakthrough was only sort of eight or nine years ago. So right, yeah. so I, I want to stress the fact that you're you're you're, you're ancient <laughs> because what you've just said makes it easier for me. I'm five years older than you, perhaps to understand the whole Donald Trump thing right. that's gone on in America, because you're describing almost the kind of unknowing subscription to quite prejudiced positions right. rather than a deliberate one. And that suddenly, yeah. for those of us sitting on this side of the Atlantic, going, what the hell has happened in America? You can yeah. kind of have a better understanding when you describe it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, for my side, predating Trump's presidency, yes. it was like, this is the funniest joke that he's even that far. Oh, my God. This is I mean, of course, this will never happen. Yeah, I know. You know, and then yeah. you, when you watch it go down and then you're like, wow, you know, you, you think the United States, are they – like you start questioning, are they are they just straight up racist? Like, or but at the same time, like you're like, no, they can't be. They're just confused. They're yes. like misguided or something. You know, but this is your glass minutes. half full. Doesn't let you think. Yeah, yeah, right. Then you got to think like, okay, if I'm like this little kid living in a small town in middle America. Okay. And I'm in the same homogenous kind of environment where I don't see other cultures. I don't play Hmm. outside of the pool of friends I, that, that look just like me. And if uh, someone that comes in here and I'm taught to not like that, then I'm always going to be grown and brought up in that ideal. Trump, he upholds that kind of idea. But he goes further, doesn't he? He pulls into the ears of these people. The yeah, idea he's like, that they're he's all like, bad. They're all rapists. Right, they're all right, right. murderers. They're all terrorists. Right. So. And then like the, the people that are voting for him, like, oh, we're validated. Yes. So our, our way of thinking is correct. Yes. It's okay. And we felt awful about it for 20 years yeah. because of political correctness. Right. And now suddenly we're being validated again. And it's okay to like, to not like other people that don't look like us. Now sure. we're okay because a president represents our voice. Yeah, yeah. So it go, it's like a major regression as far as the progress that America was making as far as, uh, it, you know, inclusion and bringing people together. And that's the basis of what the United States is all about is it's a land of immigrants. Hmm. You know, it's a land of immigrants from all across the world. And uh, it's just what's crazy is that no matter what kind of poo – Donald Trump steps into or that he stepped into, somehow it just gets washed away. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's like he never stepped into his own shit. Like, like, that's the craziest part. Like, how does he get away with it? He has 
poo all over his foot. It's so cl- like glaringly clear. And somehow he can say, there's nothing there. It's incredible. And he can just w- keep walking like, yeah. like everyone else. It's like, there might even not even be. But he knows this because yeah. when he said that thing about being able to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose a single vote, that was like he preempted this thing you've just described. Right. He knew that he could do that to the electorate. And, and most recently, we've had there is no collusion, there is no collusion, there is no collusion, there is no collusion, there is no collusion. Right. Collusion's not a crime. That it's, switch, it's, that it's pivot, crazy. is unbelievable. And, and somehow, even with the pivot, they don't. I know they don't see it. It's 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 wild. Your parents split up when you were still very young. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at, at this point, my parents split up r- when I was born. Right, you know, so you were, time, your dad so. was never a presence yeah. in your life. No, he wasn't. He was, um, uh, was kind of like he'd fly in and I'd see him and, you know, my mom raised me. The the, the, the quote I've seen, I'm, I mean, your father sounds like a very interesting character. Uh, yeah, that's to say the least. <laughs> um, he, was a, he was a wrestler, Rocky Aoki. He, 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 there's a quote here, three kids from three different women at exactly the same time, offshore powerboat racer, launched a softcore pornographic magazine, ended up suing four of his other children, not you, for an alleged... I mean, this because I have a picture of you with your mum. It was quite a nice, compact domestic situation. And then your dad is this... I mean, larger than life doesn't really do it justice by the sounds of it. So Yeah, he was just like oh, was his own entity kind of floating about. And like he would come in, I would like, you know, grab him by, by, his, by his like cape and he'd fly off. And I'd be like, wow, the world over here is crazy. You know, um, so what, I'm right. And there wasn't and, almost a dual, a, a dual existence for you. There was, oh, yeah. there was home was, and then there was dad. Yeah, yeah. Because my mom was not that way. No. My mom was very frugal very like conservative in her own way yes. um just like don't rock the boat very japanese in that way don't rock the boat don't stand out mm. you know let's just like we're just surviving here we're just doing How our did thing they end up you know? together? high school sweethearts was it yeah you know like my dad he he came out here to america first not here but i guess because <laughs> we're in england but he came out to america first um from a wrestling bid or whatever and uh bounced away from his wrestling team uh, okay stayed in new york you know eventually opened up benihana's yes i, ch- I had to double check that and that's an astonishing sort of the story of him opening benihana's is, is an incredible feat especially for a uh, japanese american in the 50s yeah the 50s or 60s i, I, I could be wrong so around sure. that period of time yeah with, and, the, with the memories of the second world war still quite yes, fresh yeah yeah so decades post uh world war yeah and japanese food was not something that americans ate you know, the idea of sushi was sure. was like disdainful. It's not not something that you want to eat. So he had to like market to the Americans in a way that they can digest. Like, oh yeah, chicken and steak mm. on a grill, and it's entertained. And it is. Yeah. So you know that concept was never brought to life before. And he pulled it up, M- muscled it up, and he opened the first restaurant. Called my mom, like, hey, come on over. Or I don't know if they call. Like, maybe he wrote a letter yeah. back in the days. <laughs> and uh, she's like, all right. Then she came over, and then they started building a family, and and then that was the start. And were you wealthy then, growing up after after they split? Were you? My my dad, he never financially supported me. Did he not? Uh, he, I mean, I'm sure he gave my mom, sure, like you know, when they divorced, whatever. But my mom. It was my financial support. She didn't adopt his lifestyle, so okay. it was very. It was very standard. I wouldn't say it's poor. I wouldn't sure. say it's rich. I would say it's definitely more on the lines of rich because I was 
taken care of. Yeah. I had a house. Comfortable. I was comfortable. I had food no matter what. I had clothes when I needed it. But it wasn't like I got, you know, this expensive car or, you yeah, know, I, see. I had these expensive shoes. But you were um, very aware of that glamorous world because oh, absolutely. your father would visit from it. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I was one of the sons of Benihana, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would go to Benihana. My friends would come with me knowing that my dad is Rocky Aoki, the Benihana guy. So, you know... Did like, you like that? Was it was it cool? I mean, especially given that you've mentioned the, the, the uh, some difficulties fitting in because of otherness and difference. Yeah, was it was it cool having that kind of credibility? I, I mean, it, it's cool and it's also not cool. Go on. It's also not cool in the way that's like, you don't want to be that guy. Okay. It's like as a kid, you're not the sugar daddy, but you don't want to yeah, be the yeah, guy yeah. that's like, oh, let's go with him because he'll pay for everything or he'll do that because he's, a, you know, you don't want to be that guy because then you're not respected in your in your. And you don't know lot. whether they're your friends or whether they're just right. there for the free lunch. So even as a kid, sure. I even, I understood that, that really? idea without even having to say it. Like I want to be a, a kid that you want to hang out with without having to go to Benihana's for free. Yeah. You know, <laughs> fair enough. But, but, you know, what happened was like, just by living in that kind of environment, mm. music is the was my avenue to find conformity or find a sense of identity in and, a way, and to find your tribe. Yeah, to find my tribe. And I guess tribe is as a conformity, yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. where I could conform with a group of people where we are like we're all like we don't really all fit into the the mainstream world, but we're going to do our own thing. Yeah, and here's the tools to to like. You know, be creative. The guitar, a microphone, a pen, a camera. You, you, know. you, you were a deep child then, were you, would you say? I mean, you sound like you were child. quite a happy child, but you were thoughtful. You were... Um, yeah, you could say that. I mean, I was. I definitely had like... Uh, like a notebook in my back pocket. Oh, I was always writing and I was, I was a singer, so I was... I mean, before I was a singer, I was like always writing some poetry or like, you know, getting into my thoughts. And uh, I think that because... You know, I wouldn't say self-pity, but I had lots of thoughts of of my own, like, who am I? How do I fit in? Yeah. I would write that all out. Okay. You know, and then when I found the microphone, I found, like, When did that start happening then? Where where we were at? 15. 15. So, like, when I just got into, like, a regular high school, 9 through 12, I just found other friends that did the same thing. They're like, yo, we we like going to these shows. And that's how it all really started. Right. We would go to these punk rock shows, these hardcore shows together. We would be air drumming in the car. We'd be up front singing along with the bands. And we're like, yo, let's just do our own thing. And we were shit, you know, we didn't know what we well, were doing. Well, that's punk, you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like, we all learned the instruments. Like, Seriously. Like, I picked up the bass, my friend picked up the guitar, then we traded guitar and bass. And I was like, I don't know how to sing. I was like, hey, just grab a mic. Like, what about all those, like, poems you're writing in your book? Like, can you, like, make a song? I like, started writing the lyrics out. And then we started performing in, like, my friend's uh, living room. Yeah. And then in my living room. And I remember one of my shows that I played, it was like a big deal. I was like, holy shit, we got our first show. And uh, it's in my, my friend, the guitarist's living room. And there's like five friends that came in, their parents. <laughs> they're, wa- they're watching from the kitchen. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I'm like walking around like, all right, guys, the first show, this means a lot to me. I'm so glad you guys all came out to the show. And it's five friends that I already 
talked to before the show. Yeah. I was like, hey, here's the lyrics to my song. <laughs> so this is what I'm going to sing. Me, you and I, or me and you, you and me, together, we, we won't fall. Or something, yeah, like, yeah, something yeah. like that. Like, I forgot what the lyrics were like on that line. So whenever I sit, when I'm about to sing that, I want you to memorize that. And then you can sing along with me. Like I'm the singer of the band that we just saw. Because yeah, yeah. we would go to the shows and we'd like be singing, this, singing with the singer. And when the singer gives you the mic so you can sing the line, it's like, you would need to days met. So like now I'm the singer and you have to sing my lyric. Okay, oh, yeah. guys. So like my four friends are like, all right. It's like, yeah, but like when we play, you have to do the same thing to us, right? So then I was doing it and then they crowd around me, they sing along and I was like, all right, it's this working. feels good. This it's is- good. And it did. Even then, even that small environment, you got enough of a taste of what it would feel oh, like. Oh my God. The real I'll, deal. I'll never forget it. You Seriously. Know, like, yeah, absolutely. That's, lovely, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, I mean, it's an angry medium, isn't it? Hardcore punk. Are you, are you, you yeah, you're not like, coming I, across now as a very angry person. Oh, definitely. It, like that, at that period of time, it was a perfect outlet for how I was feeling. So here's the thing. Like, I'm going to go a little deeper in, sure. in the idea, the ideology of punk and the yeah. ideology of this other subgenre called hardcore. So uh, punk is all about its rebellion. It's it's basically fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Mm. Like, you know, like, fuck the world. I'm pissed. I'm angry. I'm rebelling against the mainstream and I'm loud and I don't care. Yeah. Okay. So you have that, that kind of ideology there and a whole movement there and people that are the outcasts, they gravitate towards that. They're like, sure. that's my clan. That's my tribe. Now, hardcore is the evolution of punk. Now, hardcore is taking the same concepts of, okay, we are outcasts. We are like pissed off. We're complaining and we're angry and we have our own world, but what are the solutions? Okay. Right. So I got like, I got lucky because I got involved in more in the hardcore world. I was introduced with hardcore bands. So there's like songs like positive mental attitude. Mm. There's songs like break down the walls. There's songs like where, like, how do we get together and fight? the system or whatever the system is our parents or so it's, it's, like, it's not nice the punk can be nihilistic whereas yeah. hardcore wants to tear the building down but it also wants to have a plan on how to rebuild yes. it okay yes. i didn't know that yeah so hardcore is more about like this to me it's like you have you have like here are the problems punk is addressing the problems hardcore addresses the solutions to okay. those problems okay and uh when i was listening to these bands i would hear their lyrics and write lyrics similar to them it was more about unity and brotherhood because all the shows were just like little boys just moshing on top of each other and singing along about unity and brotherhood <laughs> and and then and then i got involved in, in other bands who were like it's not just about unity and brotherhood we have to actually like save animals so like right. we're all vegetarian yeah. and we also have to like talk about the prison industrial complex i'm like what's the prison industrial complex at like <laughs> what, what age are we now you're still at like still at high 16, school 16 17 so but politicized like, is, is, is the word you're yeah, becoming yeah, politicized. exactly i was i was starting to understand it i didn't quite get it because i'm like living in newport beach in a nice <laughs> suburb and like i'm all good you know uh, you know but like i'm west coast so sure. i'm listening to like I'm listening to Dr. Dre. I'm yeah, listening yeah. to Snoop Dogg. I'm listening to Easy E and WA. And I'm like, that world is crazy. And I am <laughs> obsessed with it, you know? Cause if you really like, you really break down the demographic that listened to, to West Coast gangster yeah. rap, it was 
everyone. Yes, it wasn't sure. just the hood. It was everybody. And it was me, an Asian kid living in a suburb of Newport Beach. Why it, do you, you think know. that is? Just just to digress slightly. Why, why do you think it did cut through across so many different socioeconomic? It's be- because it's it's a it's an in, it's an interesting concept. It's like you don't need to be there. You just you just visualize what it's like. They're telling you a story. It's a, they're incredible storytellers yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. You don't want to hear a story of like, yeah, I'm I'm sitting on my uh, really nice bed with these golden slippers and I'm going to take a glorious shit and have a beautiful breakfast because I'm so rich. <laughs> Although like, you know, nowadays people love talking about wealth. They do, yeah, they do now. With the jewelry it? and stuff. But when you hear like raw truth, yeah. like facts of like how, what it's like to live in areas that like when you, when you watch CNN and there's a journalist in the middle of Aleppo talking about what the hell's going on, mm. you're there watching going, holy shit shit and you want to know more about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. not saying that there's that's yeah, a rawness the same, but there's it's like raw, the, 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 the raw yeah the raw truth of what's going down as opposed to bubblegum which is exactly what kind of dominated right. the charts right previously so, so as a kid i wouldn't say that there's like this relationship between punk hardcore i mean there is some of a relationship with this punk the punk rebelliousness and and rap there is a that same kind of rebelliousness there but um that's where i felt like my voice was well served and it was helping me forge an identity and to kind of cut through a lot of the fog and confusion and misplacement of who i am you know and all of a sudden i was like i am proud to be asian yes when for for like this whole adolescent period of time, I felt really ashamed and embarrassed of being Japanese. Okay, because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be the weird guy, mm. you know. Mm. And uh, when I found that voice, it felt so good. And then when I went to college, I I started to read up more on different kinds of things that I was like, oh, I get the struggle from these different cultures and these different people and their stories and how they fought through and and what it meant to them and how they got together to be able to change something about their plight. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on here, isn't there? Just because I'm trying to knit some of it together and transformation, the, the ability to change. You, you had your first-hand experience of around the age of 16. You suddenly felt happy within your own skin in a way that you hadn't done before. And that perhaps gives you the ability to believe that other breakthroughs can be made by other people, which some of us might be too cynical to have right. a belief. And you think, why are you bothering with that? That's never going to change. These traditions are so interesting. So, so at Santa Barbara, at the Uni- University of California, you, you, you did sociology and, and women's studies with two separate bachelor's degrees, which suggests, A, that you had... a an almost unquenchable thirst for input and knowledge, understanding, but also that you were fascinated by transformation. And that takes us back to what you just taught me about hardcore punk, the idea right. that you can actually enact, yeah. you can enact things to make a difference, to make exactly. a change. And yet I wouldn't have thought that uh, a guy singing punk rock to four of his mates sitting on a sofa was, was I didn't think we were going to leap from there to there. And yet now that we've done it, it makes perfect. It's almost like a progression there, isn't right. it? Right. It's definitely a progression. So and what was what was university like? What was college like for you? Were you happier there than you were at school? Did oh, you, yeah. yeah. That's another thing that, like, you know, I don't know who, what kind of audience is watching this, especially, but, like, kids. Yeah. I mean, kids go through the hardest times, and, and, like, when you're a teenager, man, like, you just think, like, this is how life is going to be like forever, mm. you know? And I'm never going to get out of this funk because I... 
I don't know how to address myself. I don't know how to speak my my yeah. my mind and my frustrations are so confusing. And I don't know, like, am I wrong to feel this way? Like all those questions of insecurity, they just plague your brain, you know? And then it's like you get out of high school and you're like, not not too far later, do you realize that the world is so different, yeah. you know? And college really... It's a good thing for me that I left Newport Beach and I went to a different city. I'm glad I went to UC Santa Barbara. Strangely enough, it's like the craziest party school capital, like one of the crazy party school capitals of America. Did you not know that before you went? Combustible yeah. as far as partying goes. Like, let me just explain this to you. Yeah. So you have the campus and next to the campus, they put this complex, this little city together. And they just said, all the students are going to move in here. Wow. Only students. Wow. So every single apartment complex, house, whatever it is in this little area of like seven streets going up right along the coast, they're all kids. And they're all like freshly out of high school. For the first time ever free. Yeah. And they're just like no Ooh. rules. <laughs> so you can imagine like it's an experiment in itself to see if, how long it will last, you know, yes. like how crazy it gets. So, um, you know, I went to dorms. I moved in there and uh, I mean, parties are going crazy every day. Kegs, like house parties, this, that and the other. For me, I was straight edge. Which means no which drink, means, no drugs. Which means no drink, no Why drugs. Why was that? Why did that come about? That's part of the hardcore lifestyle that, that in culture and community that 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 i adopted because you're not going to be able to build the new jerusalem if you're pissed and high all the time that's kind of yeah yeah i guess but the, like the bands i loved they're all straight edge my friends right. are straight edge so would you you would party in the context of the music and the socializing but you wouldn't be drinking or taking well, we just drugs like or? just like punk separated itself from the mainstream we we had our own little world okay we uh, we started putting on shows I first lived in a vegan co-op, so I was hanging out with hippies and, and like, you know, that kind of lifestyle and just having vegan food all around me and doing shows there. Right. And there's definitely a synergy between vegans and punk music Go and on. independent Really? You know, rebellious music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are like the vegan yogis that are like, I don't want to hear anything too loud, <laughs> you know. But but when you're a kid, music is the, the one thing that brings everyone together. Of it doesn't course. matter who yes. you are, sure. you know, where you're from. That I was, you know, putting on shows in my living rooms and high school. And we're like, we're going to move into this apartment and we're going to do tons of shows. Actually, a friend was already doing that. And I moved in there and I was like, yes. Now I got like an organization. Now I got like infrastructure to do, to put on shows. And we why, did. why did you want to do that? What was it you got out of it? What was the. It's a community serving. It's like, it's like, a, it's the same kind of progression for me as a kid. Like when I make a zine and I spend hours in, in the copy center and mm. like interviewing bands and taking pictures and writing my poetry and giving it to like to someone they're like you're gonna read it you're really gonna read my oh, zine wow, like yeah. and they read it and or you get a review from it or you make a demo and you like they're like you're really gonna listen to my demo of my music and you're gonna come to my show it's the same kind of thing is there but, an insecurity behind that is there a desire to be when I mean, you're looking for a connection but you're also looking to be liked yeah i guess i guess uh there there probably is i never thought about it like that because it was more like it was a probably an insecurity for respect yeah because it's not like random people that you don't know is listening to your music. Sure. It's your friends, really. Yes, of course. And people in the community that you respect because the community is so small, right? Yes. When you go to these shows, it's only 50 to 100, 200 people. Okay. Eventually, you get to know most of them. 
yeah. you know who are the players in that world. Yeah. Who are the ones that are consistently make documenting the scene by making a zine? Who are the the the, the bands that are documenting the scene by creating the music of that timepiece of that culture? And you remember who those are, and you're like, I want to be that too. And, and to get your cool points, it's not like. I got the dope sneakers on. Sure. So like, love me. Cause yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. like, I got the sneakers you don't have yeah. or um, I'm driving in my new whip, my yeah. new car. Yeah. They don't care about that. Oh, yeah. They care about like, what show did you put on? Oh, you yes. put you you did that show yes. with these bands that came into yes. our town. Okay. That was you. Oh, so it's, cool. peer, it's peer respect. It's peer respect. So, and you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like slowly but surely, me and my friends would get together and we're like, we're going to just do it for ourselves. And then it brought that same thing to, to Santa Barbara. Yes. And we, we had a really great flow of, of bands coming through. And, and, and that's this where I started is, my label. This is the pickle patch now. This is the house you're in now? Or is that a little This is later? the pickle patch, yeah. Right, this okay. is the apartment complex I got involved in with other hardcore kids. I, I got to stop you briefly. Yeah. It, it sounds as if you were living a dream at this point. I mean, I, I, in the sense that... You, even now, sort of 20 years later or more, you're communicating a sense of believing that anything was possible at this period oh, yeah. of your life. You could yeah. you could do anything at all. And that's quite a breakout for a, for a young person. Absolutely. Not many young people get to feel that way ever. No. We'll be back with Steve in just a moment. But before that, have a listen to this. Hi, Russell Kane here, and I'm hosting a brand new podcast for Joe. Boys Don't Cry, where I get a bunch of men together and force them to talk about the things we never talk about. Body hair, body shape, why do girls only fancy bastards? All the things we worry about but never discuss. Oh, and I'll also have a girl helping me each week just to make sure we're not talking rubbish. So go to wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, wherever, and download Boys Don't Cry now. Thank you, Russell. Now back to Steve Aoki. The most important thing here on this Mm. is that the barrier entry of just attempting and trying is is minimal. Right, yes, yes. It's not about like how big your audience is. You can't think about the, the scope and scale of your of what, you do, what you're doing. You just got to actually get the microphone and start the podcast. You go like, I don't know how, I don't, I don't want to sing. I was a singer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't I, know I, until I you try. It's yeah, a... and, and I always tell different uh, musicians or artists this. I'm like, you want to learn how to play guitar? I'll bet you you'll learn how to play a song, your favorite song, in six months' time if you practice every single day and you've never picked up a guitar in your life. I, I bet you you'll figure it out. And, and that is that is the message. That is the idea that if you you know if you knock on doors, they might open, but if you never knock on them, they never will. That's and you have to put in the time. Fairly, yeah, of course you, you have to put in the time. And you did put in the time. And I don't quite understand how you ended up with two degrees when you were doing all this other stuff as well. Is that because you were straight edge? Because you could keep that well, side I mean, of your yeah, life I, separate I guess, from the other? I mean, I was living two two worlds. Two, That's what I mean. Two worlds yeah. of, of time. Sure. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I had school. Yeah. That, but that's the, but but the education informed my music. Of course, informed my my lyrics, and it, yes. it like brought me so much. You know, like, was it, was it essentially it what it's supposed to do. It's essentially, what education is supposed to do is inform your real life interests and capabilities. It doesn't happen like that very often. It though, doesn't. Does it? It's, it doesn't. Because we're on it's rails. supposed to, right? Got you. I mean, it's hard when you're doing like 
calculus. Like, yeah. how is that going to inform your life? You sure, know, sure. but I, it took me time to, to actually sharpen the education sword a bit because in the beginning I was like, I got to do what my dad is expecting me to do, which is business, Right. which is like, maybe I, you know, if all things fail, I can just work for Benihana. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't really think I was going to go that route. It was definitely like the backup, backup, backup plan. <laughs> safety net, safety net. Cause I was vegetarian and sure. my dad's a, yeah, that a could steakhouse. Be tricky. <laughs> so a steakhouse cooking yeah. up steaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't even eat the steaks. No, this and could like, be awkward. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like animal rights guy. Like I'm sure. like uh, I'm not really, you know. But uh, and I was like in the punk world, and it's like like I don't want to be showing driving like Rolls Royces with my dad, you know. No, and I it, get it. Yeah, you haven't said anything yet that suggested you cared about your father's approval growing up. I don't, I don't know whether we've. It was because he is a, such an astonishing character. Right. There must have, he must have cast a shadow. There's definitely a period of time. Growing up, my teen years into college years, I really relied on the ideology of of the musical culture I was part of, like yeah, this clearly. kind of rebellion. Like, clearly. Like, I don't need anyone's approval. Sure. But in the back of my head, I needed his approval. Right. I mean, later you realize a lot of these things, you know? Yes, of course. And as the approval process for my father, okay, like for me thinking like I need to get his approval, started really coming out. After college, when the real life hit me, when right. real life hit me, I was like, I got to make money. And But you had a record label by this point. Yeah, but that wasn't making money. No, you were a label owner and a concert promoter, but you weren't making money. I mean, I was, but it but was not, getting not. sucked in. Right. Because, so I left college. Yeah. My label's already off the ground. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, I actually applied to graduate schools and I was good and I got accepted into two PhD programs. I was very, very excited about because the edu- education route for me yes. was, was definitely a big road. This is yeah. a road that I was excited to go down. I was excited to become this uh, professor, get a PhD before my name and, yeah. and do research in a feminist circle. Sure. And I was like, this is, this is exactly where I want to go. I could see that as my route, my yes. future. And it's not about money here. It's more about doing like very, yeah, sure. very important research that yes. can better and advance my community or the communities that I'm focusing on. Yeah. But then music is like a huge lane for me that like drives my heart. So you've got like a wife and a mistress and you got kind of the, yeah. the, the academic. I've got two wives. <laughs> two wives then, yeah. i got two wives. Well, actually one's pulling my heart, one's pulling my brain. Exactly that. You know, yeah. like, like where do I follow? Do I follow my, like where I'm, the intellect really is driving me, which is also my heart too. Of course. But my heart is in music, you know? So and was, was there a conscious decision that you took or did the cards just fall? It, it, was, it was a band, was I have to say, yeah. It was The Kills. Yeah. So in 2001, actually a couple of years before, this um, this band played called Discount. They played right. in, in my living room. Actually, it played in front of like seven people. Okay, because <laughs> so my living room is very small, it's like sure. forty people, right? So Discount. <laughs> I don't know played... many people who judge the size of their living room by how big a, an audience it can hold. Most yeah, yeah. people would use feet and meters. <laughs> so this band Discount played. And they're on tour with Hot Water Music and Ann Beretta. Yeah. They're all bands from Florida, and I love these bands. They play in front of like hundreds of people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come to my house and play in front of seven people. Wow. And the the singer of Discount. I'm just like, she's an inspiration. I sure. follow her music. I follow the band. I know the, her lyrics. I'm just, when she walks in the room, I'm just like so intimidated and like so awestricken, like just absolutely just floored by her presence. And we became friends. And then she, a couple of years later, she moved to England and she started this band called The Kills. Yes. And she wrote me a letter, a handwritten letter. I, I really need to find this letter. <laughs> she's like, hey, I, I just made a demo with... I mean, it's a new band called The Kills. This is yeah. me and this other guy, Jamie. Yeah. And here's a demo. 
of you know i remember playing your show you're like such a nice guy i know you have so you made a connection clearly yeah and i was like oh my god this is so good listen to the demo oh my god a black rooster demo blown away by by what she was doing this is the best thing i've ever heard in my life at the time i'm like i need to release this ep i need to release this then she signed a domino in the uk and she's like okay you can release this in america so we released the 12 inch in America. And then I became the road manager, their tour manager. I became their merch guy. I became their driver. I was just like the all around guy. I was just like, I want to do everything. And, and you were loving every minute. Of it. I was, of course I was. Because you felt part of something special. I also like, I was in bands as well. Sure. So even before then I was touring in my own bands. I yeah. was putting out my own bands and putting out my bands on, on uh, other labels and stuff. But I'm like, there's a limit to what I can do musically to what I can help other artists do. So you, you, it's, it's like a gear. You had no higher gear to right, go into. Right, right, right. But, but you like, recognized the people exactly. who did. So once she said, okay, we could use your help yeah. and we love you, you're, you're great and your energy is insane, I'm in. Wow. So then I, you know, I went on the road with them. We, we did U.S. tours. We did uh, Japan together. And I was uh, understanding what it's like to you know, be a road manager from not understanding what road manager does. I was horrible at it. Really, really. They're waking me up. You know, I, I remember going into, um, cause rough trade was a label yeah. in America. I remember going into rough trade. I, I was keeping all the receipts for all, all the money that we're spending on food and everything. And that's not how you're supposed to do it. There's like a budget, you know, I'm like, here's all the receipts, like pay for everything. Like what? you're the worst. Like you're like, you're the road manager. It was like, get off the road with them. Like, no, this is my job. Like, you know, just give me the like, money. I, I'm like, I love these guys. I'll do anything for them. You know? So, and, and that then, is why you never went to grad school because this just yes, took off. Yes. It's and just... then I was like, I'm doing my label. I'm yeah, doing, yeah. I'm taking care of bands. This is like where my heart is. I'm I'll, so it's, it's I'll 2002, it I'll two, ta- 2002, by now yeah, yeah, and you right. take you're moving to LA taking the label with you and you start in earnest becoming a a record label guy a record label record guy. label mogul a mogul <laughs> yeah uh, with no employees with 13 sure. interns sure. FYI yeah because <laughs> we got we got to the point where we were like cool yeah. and uh and I couldn't afford to pay anyone but I was like anyone that wants to work for me Come to my apartment I just moved in 900 square feet I don't know what it how is out here in England is, how many people is that 13, and 13 <laughs> interns. How many people out. can you get in a 900 square foot of Oh, they were barely, like, some were sitting outside. Like, <laughs> like, I didn't know what the hell they were doing. I was just like, I don't know, like, like first of all, like, I don't even know how to, I can tell two people to do something. The other, like, 11 <laughs> other people, they're like, what do we do? Like, we just flew in from France to work at Dimmock, what we thought was a huge label. Because these are the same people that you used to be. These are the guys and the girls who have just loved the music to such a degree that right. they kind of want to make it their life exactly and they'll take any chance any yeah. opportunity they can right. to be the guy to be the woman who actually does this for a living yeah and when did it start happening we had some major fails mm. i think with every business that like I'm, i was a businessman and I, and I didn't know how to run a business sure okay i was a music lover i was a yes. music fan but you're was, trying to turn your hobby into your career exactly in a way and it's always uh, risky and like, you know, I was doing my own accounting. I was doing everything. I was going to the pressing plants, to the printing plants, to the distributors, to, you know, talking to doing the, the, the customer service over the phone to the, I mean, just absolutely everything you can imagine. And then I found Black, Par- Black Party. Right. When you say you found them, how did that happen? This, their manager, Simon White, sent me a single 
of theirs. She's hearing voices end of 2003 mm. on this really cool indie label called Transgressive. And uh, they were also, they were like a dim mock in the UK. They were finding young, talented artists and yeah. just putting out singles. And um, they're like, yeah, you put out on the kills and you put out Pretty Girls Make Graves. Like, we don't want to work with any majors. We just love working with cool indies to help develop the band in America. Sure. And then in January, they sent me the demo of Banquet. And that was, I mean, I was like, you got to be out of your mind. And uh, I released a Banquet EP. Blew the hell up. Right. Blew up. I mean, I mean we this were, is an everything changes moment. Just everything changes from that one song. Wow. And then wow. I applied the same kind of concept of, you know, I was just touring with Block Party yeah. and really helping develop them, work with Simon, you know, started understanding how major labels work, started t- taking me meetings with major labels, eventually helped get it signed to Vice, yeah. um, who was there at the time. They're really good friends of mine and uh, Vice Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. And, um, major label. Sorry. Yeah. And then yeah, I started yeah. working with major labels, started understanding that, that, that game, like going from indie to like hating like like mainstream to like and are you treating this like you treated your academic studies? Are you absorbing and learning yes. and loving the the process of accruing knowledge and understanding of things? I'm still the same way. Yeah, that's the only way I I have to say that is one of the reasons why I was able to make these little successes yeah. in my life to get to where I am now. Sure, you have to be the sponge. Yeah, yeah. you have yeah, to be that's the word self aware, and you have to be critically aware of of everything around you and and take in the things that matter and and to recognize genius when you see it that's been quite an important part of the process as well yeah exactly genius is a good word and talent before it's there you know like you know like knowing that you can grow that talent yeah the raw material right opposed to the finished product and that in a way explains what follows in your career doesn't it is is, which we'll get onto briefly because i want to know what happened to your ego because to be a performer and it's particularly to be the singer in a band yeah. even if you recognize the limitations on your own ability there's an ego involved in that absolutely that, that must be difficult to marry to working with people who you know to be much much more talented than you are right how, how, where did the ego go during this period okay during this period of time yeah i i stopped singing i mean i was just doing the label yeah because so, you, you'd recognized yeah, I, I, well, I recognize just like the. But would gear, you the rather have been thing. a massively successful punk singer or rock singer? Um, or does it, it not was, even it break down? It was always like there. That? It was more like, like I wasn't like I'm done playing music. No, I know. But it was more like I'm following things that are successful to me in my life right now. It's you going know, through like, the doors it, that are open, and also yeah. <laughs> it takes up a lot of your time. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. even with thirteen interns. Right. Right. <laughs> so when I stopped touring. Like, I would like, okay, I'm not a good tour manager. I just can't do it. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. I'm like, obviously, I'm not meant for the road, I, even though I love the road. Okay. So, so then I just stayed in LA and I was like, I was signing more bands and I was, I had a groove. I had a groove. I was just picking up bands and artists that actually were talked about heavily impressed. Yeah. And they were the next thing. And then we were known as like the label that was finding a lot of the British acts. Yes. You know, from Whitey to Mystery Jets to Claxons to obviously yeah. Block Party, um, you know, the rakes, like down the line. Like whatever it just seemed to funnel our our way. You were on the Zeitgeist. You had the the understanding of of I mean you had the touch. You had that little And also we had the track record for for exactly. like the next like if a if a manager's already working with the next hot thing, the enemies like going the oh, next, the next hot thing behind you. Like they, they know to trust you never, stand, you never stand still, Steve, do you? Because this is around the time that you started 
remixing stuff or had you always been doing that or now you're actually getting involved back involved in the creative process rather than being the midwife for the creatives now you're this is what i meant by the ego a minute yeah. ago because you you clearly still had a need to get involved in the creative process rather than simply right. purely the commercial one right and that's what happens next yeah what happens next to jump backwards before the, the remixing yeah, is yeah. djing right that came before the remix yeah because djing was a tool it wasn't like now I'm the artist. Yeah, yeah. I was never, I never thought of DJing as me becoming the artist. Okay. It's like, it was to open the doors. Okay. At the end of the day, when I threw my parties or when I was involved in DJing in these parties, yeah, no one was coming to see me. Right. So in this case, I'm, I'm going to have to like rewind the tape a bit back that I wasn't the tool because no one was coming to see me DJ. Sure. I was throwing the parties with my friends that were, we were doing the same concept of the pickle patch or the same concept back in the living rooms yeah, I get it. of bringing talent to us, but they were DJing. Yeah. Because we're not going to do these big shows for sure. Block Party or Interpol or Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs or whoever. But we're going to do the after party. Yeah, yeah And yeah. we're going to have the members DJ, and they're not DJs either. Sure. They're just playing records, but people want to hang out. Yeah, yeah. With, like, the band that's DJing, with the killers. I remember when the, all four of the killers came and DJed at this bar, and they were pulling for my record collection. They're like, They're like, hey, can you play this one? And I would play it for them. And there yeah. were four of them were behind me, like, picking records out, like, I'll play this record, you know? Is this a bit... Is it the same feeling as when you did the zines then? Is it that this is what I like, this is what I'm into, this is who I'm at, I really hope you like it too? So, like selecting, yeah, selecting yeah. and sharing. Yeah. It's a sharing, it's a sharing sure. capacity. Yes. But it was really almost like brand building in LA. Got you. We, although conscious brand building would be a very different thing. This was organic. Yes. Right? Although so, you, you knew the lingo because you're a successful businessman by now. You were never doing something because you thought it would be successful. You're doing it no, because, no, no. because you wanted to do it. It's, it's brand building and co- uh, community building. Yeah. It's like, it's once again going the same concept of we're in LA and we like this kind of music. And not to say that we're exclusive, but we're like, there's not that many people. Not I mean, there are lots of people that like this music, but it's small enough where can, they can all fit into this bar. Yeah. And yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to do it consistently yeah. every single week. Wow. You know, and guess what? It's so successful. We're going to do another night. So we're doing two nights of that same kind of culture of music every single week. And guess what? It's happening again. We did three. And guess what? Now we're going to take down this warehouse illegally in downtown LA. And there's 4,000 people there. And that. we still have three more, three, three other nights. And then soon out of, out of consistency of representing this culture and community, we just became the uh, ambassadors of the world. So when yes. you come to LA and you want to hear this kind of music or you want to see this happening, you come to our parties. That's it. And guess who's opening while people are trickling in? Steve Aoki. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's how it all started. How it like, I'm DJing my own parties because like, I don't have to be a technically great DJ. So I just need to select the records and play the culture, right? And what do you get out of that? It's different from being the promoter. It's different from being the shit road manager. It's, it's different. playing music. It's it is, playing but music. is it the same Selecting. buzz as playing music? It's the same it, thrill. I, I, in, the, in the beginning, it's, it's a different kind of, of feeling. Course. Because I'm not playing my own songs. I don't even have my own songs no, yet. No, I know. I'm yeah. just, I'm playing, you know, I remember playing Losing My Edge by LCD Sound System. I remember playing like all, like around that, that, that period of time, right? Yeah. And I was playing Mace, Yeah. Feel So Good. And I was playing Tupac and Block Party. And yeah, yeah, yeah's new EP. And, right. you know, across the board, obviously, you can't mix some of these songs. No, and I was learning. The crazy part is I was learning how to mix 
in front of live people. in front of an audience and before the shows the bars would open because i didn't have my own turntables at that time uh, and so and at some point in the next year or two you decide because your self-control is legendary your discipline is legendary you you decide that you want to be one of the biggest djs on the planet or no or, no, no, no never no. never that no, okay i'll i'll get up there in a transition so we we're djing these parties we we've got the culture on lock yeah i get my first cover of a magazine this is your town yeah for our for our little scene, yeah, yeah, yeah our yeah. scene is no, I get bubbling, that. sure, yeah. bubbling, yeah, right. The, so the planets have aligned, the, right place, here, right time, the, right people, right music, right everything. And here's the thing, though, back in two thousand four, five, six, social media didn't exist. Of it course, was like MySpace or something. That's like right, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And blogs mattered a lot. So we had a photographer, the Cobra Snake. He was taking all the pictures, showing the fashion, the lifestyle, the culture. But you want to hear the music? You can't get it on Snapchat. There's no right. such thing. Cool. You can't get it on. You have to get on a blog or you have to come to really the party. Yeah. You have to be at the party. It's the so only guess, way. So guess who was at the parties? Everybody. The the influencers, yeah. the, the artists, Black Eyed Peas, LMFAO, Skrillex. They were at the parties because they were sponges as well. Yeah, yeah. And they were sponging up what was happening. The new DJs coming through, the new artists that are breaking. And they're getting their own ideas going back in the studio and making their hits. We did have Lady Gaga like for her first shows in LA, like in our parties for free. Yeah. Like we would break a lot of these artists because there's no other way to, you know, that's where you want to be. I remember when Jimmy Iovine came came through, like, you know, and like certain big tastemakers, like, holy shit, we have, or, you know, or Kanye West or like, sure. you know, in the early days, like, like you had to be there. Yeah. And the people that really listened to the underground, the, the, the real mainstream influencers, they were there. Wow. They were there. They had to be there. If, yeah, if you're in LA and we're doing like three or four parties a week, yeah. right? Doing the same culture, right? So then at that point, after a few years of that, I also had block party on my label. So I had the stems of helicopter. And that's when I was like, I'm not even going to tell management. I'm not even going to tell the band, but I'm going to remix them. Okay. And that was my first remix. Is like, I didn't actually know how to produce music at the time. Sure. But I teamed up with my friend, Blake, who we started a group called Weird Science. And he was also a band guy. And he loved Dimock and he loved what we were doing. And he's like, I'll teach you. I'll right. teach you how to produce. And uh, we did this remix together. I was, I remember, I, I, I knew how to play a little bit. Yeah. So I was playing the, the notes, like on my, my two fingers. And uh, he's like, yo, that sounds dope. Let's record. I'm like, that's dope. That's dope. That's, all right, cool. That's a good start. And then like the okay that's how the hi-hat is okay then now we gotta find a kick okay cool and then we get the bass line i'm like you know what we gotta get a vocalist on here besides block party to make it special yeah. let's call peaches wow so i knew peaches because she would she would play in my party she would come to the parties i'm like i'm like peaches will you will you like sing on this block party it's my very first remix will you jump on this track absolutely oh, i'm like how the hell we just got oh, peaches man. on a remix yeah. and then we got peaches on the remix and then for the next two years blake schooled me and trained me and, and taught me how to remix and and essentially produce yes so i spent two years remixing and then I eventually was like, I got to make my first original track on my own. And yes. then 2007 on, I started tooling and learning how to make original music. The DJing then becomes, becomes what exactly? Because, I mean, the way you've just told that story, that chronology, you shouldn't be a DJ. You should now be, a, a, you know, a, a legendary remixer, producer and artist. The, no, the... no, no. This is so early on. Like, I'm not even... <laughs> I know. It's DJ's... an amazing... I just want to say one thing. It's, it's almost as if every stage of your life... 
everything that's gone before was the preparation for the next stage, but you didn't realise that at the time? No, absolutely not. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. And now all, everything no, that's gone before was the perfect here, preparation for doing the remixing and the producing. Thing. You know, like a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you're the you're an entrepreneur now. Sure. You have all these businesses yeah, and yeah, you're, yeah. You have, you've found success in different things. And I'm like, but one of the most important things an entrepreneur will ask uh, a young entrepreneur is, what's your five-year plan? Right. It's a very, very important thing for a business mm. to have that. I never had that. No, I didn't think you did. I, I actually like five when months I go, plan. No. I mean, you no, know, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Two year plan, yes. I already know. I already know what's happening next year, sure. year and a half. I already know that. Sure. I already have it planned out, actually. Yeah. Neon Future Three, my next album's dropping in two months. Plug. Neon so Future loud. Four coming out next year. <laughs> Plug. You know, like, so there are things like that happening, you know, like, I'm going to drop this here. Very yes. strategic things. Yes, okay. You know, but with business, yeah. there's a five year plan. Got you. With oh, yeah. artistry. You can't have a five-year plan. You might not even be around in five years. No, and, and also you've got to be able to run with the unexpected. That's kind of what You I have like. to, yeah, you have to be impromptu. You have to be the best impromptu comedian. You have to, like, stand on stage and, like, s- swing different ways. S- spinning Any place. possible way you can. Do you have ambition then in, the, in, 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 a, in a traditional, conventional sense? Do, do you still have goals that you are yet to fulfill? Or I'm is going it- to bring Pizza Aoki out here to England. So that's the yeah, I, I just jumped like somewhere else. Sorry, I, I do. I don't sit in one place, but yeah, that's a goal. Is it? Yeah, this is my new pizza concept that, that's growing in LA. I know that's not on your sheet. We look forward to that. Yeah. It's not. It's, not it's, 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 it, but that again is. It's more like. Um, it's more like an achievement than an ambition. Do you see what I mean? It's not like you've set yourself goals that you want to achieve just for the sake of achieving them. You want to bring stuff to people whether it's music or in this case food or whether it's acts artists yeah. words lyrics it's a constant this this word you use a lot community it's a, it underpins everything that you it really does and for me because I, I i started you serve your community yeah. you serve your people in a good way you'll yeah. have you'll have a great you'll have a great uh, product you'll have a great concept you'll have a great idea and because it serves the people well then we arrive at the massive djing Oh, yeah, we haven't gone there yet. No, I know. But we, for we, part two. Yeah, well, we could do a part two next time you're here, <laughs> when you're here to, to open the pizza. <laughs> so, but, but I've always, because I, I got into dance music in 1988, and I was a very sort of straight-laced schoolboy who ended up by accident at the Hacienda Club when wow. sort of Sasha and Dave Haslam and, yeah, yeah, and Graham Park and people like that were playing. Legendary. And, and for the first time in my life, I felt part of a, of a community in a way that I hadn't done at school. And it, it, having listened to you speak in this way, I have a sense that when you're in front of your crowd, your people, and you're doing your surfing on, on your raft and you're, throwing <laughs> your, and you're throwing your cake and stuff like that, 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 is, that is so far in your life. That is the ultimate achievement of community. That is the yeah, ultimate yeah. sense of belonging. Yes, because here's the thing. What I was back then, yeah. it was about exclusivity. It was about like, we are our own little tribe. We got our own little circle and no one wants to hear us anyway. So we're just going to say, this is just us. No one else is invited. You know, no one else wants to really be a part of it. It's too small. Yeah. <laughs> but we're like, fuck But everybody. even if you did want to be, we wouldn't let yeah, you. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, you know, and then people like want to come like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then so it's like, and now the way I think, but you're like a happy guy, you yeah. know? It's all about inclusion. Yeah. It's all about going even back to like the, the anti-Trump rhetoric of this is about belonging for everyone. Yeah. 
and what what is a great provider music what's a great what's the great way to share and connect with people from different religions different uh different walks of life different uh cultures music yeah you know and now i'm part of a the EDM world, like this, the electronic world where there is no language. There's no, there's no dividing language. You know, it's all about the beat. It's all about how it makes you feel. And then you play these festivals like Tomorrowland and you play these festivals where you see flags pop up from countries you've never even heard of and colors from countries you've never even seen on a flag. And you're like, wow. And they don't even speak English. They don't speak Spanish. They don't speak like, it doesn't matter what you say because the music speaks for you. And you see the smiles on their faces and you see them like coming together and it doesn't matter what religion, like, like I said, like it doesn't matter where you come from. Right. Sure. That is the all time everything. That's the moment. Yeah. So I'm, I'm living in it right now yeah. and I'm the most, I'm just absolutely so grateful I, uh, and uh, just I, so happy to be here. I got one last question, but yeah. I, have, I have a feeling that you just answered it because I was about to say, why do you do so much? Um, 161 shows in 41 countries. You're in the you're in the Guinness Book of Records for. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's not even correct. <laughs> what was more? Was it? It was. It's it's like it's double. It's like almost double from that year. That that yeah. Guinness Book of World Records. We had to only put in uh, what was on um, bands in town or oh, or, okay. or, so, or right. kick, song starter. I forget what it's called. Like sure. it's one of those websites that they track. Yes. But really, the the You've been doing loads of other stuff. We, we did like. 150 more or something 150 more shows than that so so that the question was going to be why why do you do so much why do you get yourself out there on such an unprecedented such a high level and and the answer is because you just love it i yeah absolutely (laughs) why wouldn't you if you've got a gig tonight why wouldn't you want to i would play every single day that's what i'm getting that's what i'm hearing as long as my now now it's different now i'm I'm 40 so i have to treat my body like an athlete i have to treat my voice like an athlete i have to treat everything in a way where like like this is my main priority, mm-hmm. and I actually I feel like I'm at this age, and I've been at this age for uh, not necessarily forty, but I've been at like a mental age yeah. in a way where I know what's important in my life and what detracts and and is toxic in my life, at least to this point of my understanding. Yeah. You know, as I grow, I'm going to understand what things are toxic, what things aren't, and I try to have a balance of alkalinity you know things that work for me things that work for my career things that make me happy those are the things i want to be focusing on you know that's why i you know i don't really party you know i'm the conductor i'm supposed you're supposed to party yeah i get it you could get lit however way you want to get lit (laughs) just you know i i'm i'm here to like you know navigate you and get you to this the emotional high where you actually don't need to be on drugs. You don't need to be drunk. You know, I prefer my fans, my crowd not to be because I want them to fully experience what I'm doing, what I've created, the visuals, the music. If you don't get to experience it like the way I'm experiencing it, then you really miss out on so much detail. Wow. And it sucks. Like yeah. when someone's just like looked out of the head, I'm like, dude, I spent a lot of fucking time up here in the studio. I fucking like work on all this shit that like my team, we have like fucking huge team working all this shit Look for you. And you're just like gurning you know, in the like, corner. Yeah, I'm like, you know, so, you know, and then well, again, I kind of detract from them. I, and I focus no, on the people sure. that like, I care. Yeah, yeah. I'm here yeah, because yeah. I care, you yeah. know, I get that. Steve, okay. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Man. Thank Seriously, you. Thank you. 
I had to check my watch then to make sure that an hour had actually passed. Steve is is one of those people that just sort of takes you with him. His enthusiasm is is contagious, and his story, most of which we got through, although I do think we probably could have comfortably filled another hour without interruption, um, is is quite incredible. He, he really is what you see is what you get. If you enjoyed that, you might want to check out Dave Haslam's episode of Unfiltered. Here's a little taste. No one's really expecting me to talk about the lesbians who saved my life. <laughs> Uh, which is, I just, I just start hanging out with lesbians in Paris, basically, and I have an amazing, <laughs> um, amazing social life as a result. And I'm in Paris just after the Bataclan, and then I come back from Paris just before the Manchester bomb. So again, I have that kind of, you know, as you pointed out before, you you have the the moments of joy. Mm. You know, the, the lesbians let me de- invited me to DJ at one of their nights. So I was in, in a club by the River Seine, like 700 lesbians, and I dropped I Feel Love by Donna Summer, and the whole place goes <laughs> mental. And uh, I, I get so carried away, I bite one of them on the arm, and she invites me to Nice to meet her grandmother. It's a great night, James. You really should have been there. I know. So do go back and check that out, along with the rest of the unfiltered back catalogue. While you're there, why not subscribe to the whole series and leave a rating or a review or both on iTunes. And if you know someone who might like Unfiltered, introduce them to it. You're listening to Unfiltered with James O'Brien, brought to you by Joe.